ho, 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 hello, everybody. Happy New Year, everyone. It's time for the two half squads. You have waited an entire year since last January. I don't know. I'm all, I'm all, I've already yes. lost it. 2020 is <laughs> behind us and I am exhausted. So here we are. Jeff and Dave are back for another exciting episode of the two half squads. Hey, wait, 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 what am I? What am I? Uh, lunch meteor? Uh, it's not just Jeff and Dave, what? And then, of course, here's our chopped liver of the month, Rich Spilkey. Hey. Yeah, to be official, we still do have two or three more days to endure of 2020. Yes. Uh, we're not quite there yet, but by the time this airs, I presume it'll be 2021. Yeah, we hope so. Yes, it should be right after the new year. Yeah. And this is episode 263 of the two half spots. Wow. That's meaningful for the you numerologists out there. Yeah. Put on your propeller hats and go figure out what 263 means. And you're going to want your propeller hats handy for this episode. So uh, that might now might be a good time to pause and go grab those because you're going to need those. So you guys are looking well. How are you guys doing? Merry Christmas and all that. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year upcoming. Yeah. What's going on at the Spilkey residence? Lots of festivities and frivolity? Well, uh, you know, it was just a really weird year for all of us. I know that. In my particular work, I've actually been super busy in 2020, despite, you know, I normally work downtown Chicago. I normally take the train. And obviously in March, just like, you know, many, many millions of other people, everything came to a screeching halt. We've all been working from home. So I haven't been to downtown Chicago since March, and but my work's actually been quite busy. I've been working really hard, believe it or not. I have not been slacking. I have been working hard, despite being at home. And uh, so consequently, I didn't really take any vacation days or very few. So uh, I'm pretty much now trying to enjoy my vacation here at the end of the year and trying to get the days in as I can. And so uh, that's why you know I had some time to devote with you guys. I'm glad you invited me. This was really good timing. Yeah, good. Did you have the, were the boys home for Christmas? Yeah, my, my sons are home. They're still home. They also have some vacation days here at the end of the year that they're uh, using and they're visiting us. But yes, you, you know, they're all alone in their apartments. They're single young guys. And they yeah, live, uh, my older <clears throat> yeah. son lives in the Peoria, Illinois area. My younger son lives in the St. Louis uh, area. And, you know, for them to stay home alone during the holidays is, you know, not really something I could feel good about. Because you're being careful. Well, and they're very isolated, too, like Adam is in Peoria also, working at Caterpillar. And Although Megan is our threat. She's the one that had been around many more people. But, um, yeah, we had them in spread way out in the room, and we did do masks. We sprayed everybody down. with. Uh, <laughs> we just sprayed them down and then lit them on fire. <laughs> <laughs> Truly sat- Saturnalia Yeah, the, the uh, alcohol burns off quickly and left very few... <laughs> serious burns so yeah did did your daughters visit you uh jeff uh no we actually had uh we just i drove over to the their house and uh swapped gifts with them and then we did a video call with them and opened gifts that way and it turned out fine actually it turned out fine we did do a zoom with the extended family that normally would come to mom's house grandma sure yeah cram that but um did you guys see the article about the roman um, I sent it, Jeff, to the Half Squad's email. I don't know if you can screen share it up 
pit now. Don't bother. But there's a a counter they dug up. I guess it's Pompeii, I think, that had the paint on it still. It's a bright yellow, and it's got paintings of the food you can buy. It's a uh, it's like a street vendor card, except it's 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 actually physically there. I mean, it's it's a I don't know. They didn't use concrete. I don't know what it was made of, stone, and it had round pots all around the edges that they could put pottery in to keep this food warm and serve it in the street. It looks just like a like you'd go through a uh, salad bar with the plastic trays all sitting down in these holes, you know, and yeah, um, could move the food out at night. It's really cool. And if you're into Roman history at all, and it's got the paint on it, which I'm assuming is authentic, but I didn't read the whole article. But, like, bright yellow. So, you know, a lot of these things, we look at in antiquity, are much more colorful than we think of the marble, white marble statues. You know, I learned that, too, in Greece when we went, that these statues were... They painted those? They would all be painted. Yeah, so I, I... you need to see all what the colors would look like. But if you haven't checked it out, everybody, I'll put a link on for that tra- vendor's card. I keep thinking it's a traveling card, but it's not. It's a permanent street selling on the street kind of restaurant thing. Yeah, so did they cool. have a sneeze? Uh, was there a sneeze shield? <laughs> yeah, no. No. <laughs> well, that may have been destroyed in the... They found Plus. the bodies, remains, <laughs> for real. And Good. under the one guy was like wood and nails and stuff, so they think he had a sleeping car, yeah, sleeping cot that he would probably sleep on in this place also. And then there was a, a purchaser, a customer, his last customer, I guess. Yeah. His remains were there too. Um, but, wow. Yeah. So that's amazing that they're still finding stuff over there. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Should we jump right in then, gents? Got a full Let's show do. Today? Let's talk about ASL. Well, first up, we have a contest for the C4 Corner Cutter. Remember those, Rich? I remember them. Last from the past, but they we had an offer to get one out, our last one out, uh, to someone, and we had two contestants. So, Rich, you have the honor of picking odd or oh. even. Boy, that's a big responsibility, Dave. Yeah, really. You want I don't know if I'm up for that. that. That's that's adding a lot of weight to my yeah. pressure. But I'll well, try. Talk about ending the year with a lot of stress. You know, I'm feeling like even is what I need to say. Even. Oops, I just switched my my search window. <laughs> even is Preston Yonkins. Preston. Oh, excellent. You are the winner. So I will email Preston soon and get his address. We'll mail that right out to him. So we had two contestants on that contest? Two. Wow, that's impressive. One was from Denmark, Ulrich Danker, but he was willing to have it shipped to his friend Larry Yeager. So we're sorry, Larry and Ulrich, you didn't get the C4. But we'll have have another contest going on now, Jeff. What do listeners need to do to get into that? Uh, they need to give us a call. Is that all? I think that's all they need. To, what 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 did we say they had to do? No, <laughs> no, they have to say something good about another. It's pass on oh, the goodness. Pass on. That's right. Say something good about another ASL. Yeah, player. give them a shout out. Yeah. Maybe Spread if we heard love. spreading maybe, the ASL love. Maybe we could hear an example of what that might sound like if someone would call in. Okay, here we've got an example right here. 
Oh, do we have his permission to play it? Uh, Thanks. Well, it doesn't say. <laughs> I think so. I'm going to say yes. Here I'm sure go. the two half squad lawyers warned him on the message machine before he recorded. Yeah. Hi, guys. I just wanted to give a shout out to Angel from Madrid. It's a guy I met two years ago in my first tournament, Mad Acer, and I really enjoyed playing with him. That's all. See ya. Very nice. Excellent. Ricardo, you are in the contest. Thank you for sending that in. You are in. That's one. Do we have another example, Jeff? I know we got like a hundred of these already. Yeah, just look how easy that was. I've got one here from... Uh... <laughs> Why are you shaking your head? We, we haven't got a hundred. We don't want to make people think they won't possibly win. No, there we, we have, have two so far. So, But you have to enter to win. You do. Hello, this is Jackson, the Hong Kong Wargamer, and this is my shout out. I'd like to do a shout out to all the folks at the Hong Kong Society Wargamers who sunk me into an ASL game one day by saying, here, you come on this panther. To Chris Brackney and Paul Barano for sending me Halloweegians and the Long March way back when I was just starting off and had nothing. To Don Lassoff, who took me through my first PBM games. To Cal Norguera, who spent a year teaching me the ins and outs of ASL. To Wish Bottles, who taught me more than anyone about ASL, about history, and about life. To John Knowles, Will Fleming, and Dan Dolan, who are still tirelessly trying to raise my game. So guys, I can't thank you enough. Have a beautiful 2021. My name is Jackson, the Hong Kong Wargamer, and this is my shout-out. Wow, wow. That's, a, that's a shout-out. That's yeah, a great shout out. Huge shout out. And listeners, you don't have to do that big of a shout out. You could do a small one like Ricardo. You could do a big one like Jackson. But hey, let's spread the love. We all have people. I'm indebted to Rich Spilkey. I should call the show and, and shout that out. He you should. me more about the, the ins and outs of the rules and made these wonderful charts for us. So, but there you go, folks. I forget when the deadline is, though, Jeff. For, do we say mid? Out. Thought we said mid January, January fifteenth. Yeah, like yeah. You, you talked me into the long one. Yeah. Yeah. So people still have a couple weeks to call in after the yes. airing of this episode. So that's our contests. And what can they win? Um, a variety of things. They're going to be able to choose, and I don't remember. Oh no, it was a decade of war, if I remember correctly. Which, a decade of war. Okay. Great. Actually, Pat. Let me whatever. let me ask as as a newbie. Uh, person that might want to phone in what is like is the phone number posted on the website or how do you do it good point rich it's on the right side of the web page yeah when you go to the web page you'll see a little fly out tab along the right side and you can just click on that and uh follow the prompts and record your voice right there okay thanks so like you record you see recorded on the speaker of your of your pc Yep, yes. that easy. You literally just hit that, and then it says, "Are you satisfied?" Hit send, boom, done, and it comes it. up to a. It's called. It's run through SpeakPipe. Yeah, I'm not the greatest IT expert, as you guys know, and so others might have questions like that too. Perhaps not. Perhaps they do. I don't know. And you know, maybe we should we should say if you 
if you can't get that to work, if you can't get your microphone to work on your computer, just send us an email and say, I would like Jeff to read this instead because I can't get my computer working. Have Jeff read this in his Sean Connery voice. <laughs> there you go. Great. That's or another option for yeah. you there. So what's up next? Well, have we got a Echo what have you been playing lately? Oh, yes. Rich, what have you been playing lately? Well, I, you know, I've listened to your last handful of podcasts, as I always do. And I noticed that on a couple of occasions, you both have commented about your increased use of Vassal yourselves, playing with one another and other folks. And I also have now dipped my, uh, my foot in the Vassal pond, so to speak. I have never really played it or used it before, but, you know, you're kind of forced to with, you know, the current COVID thing going on that we've had now for so many months. So I have now played, I don't know, I don't know exactly how many, I'm going to say five, perhaps six scenarios on Vassal. It's worked pretty well. And, you know, just like you guys, I had a learning curve that I had to come up to speed on. And I've learned a few tricks from my opponents about how to, one thing I really like about Vassal, there are some good things about it for sure. I really like that little uh, tool where you can like draw that white bright circle around the counter that you're talking about or the hex that you're referring to and draw your, uh, your partners or your opponent's attention. Cause like when I play other games on B A S S A L Vassal, you know, in addition to squad leader or ASL, uh, you know, they don't have that feature. That That's a unique, I'm told that's a unique VASL feature that's not on the other Vassal modules. So that, and that would be, that, that comes in great handy. I like that, you know, it's obviously easy to put it away. There's no putting away at all. It's just over, or you can leave it set up for periods of time without taking up space on your game table. Those are all great things. I like the way it finds yeah. your sniper. You can't find your sniper. <laughs> yeah. I like the way it uh, keeps track of your die rolls. You know, I'm sort of a number statistics guy. Oh, yeah, yeah. Noticed, and uh, that's sort of a fun thing. That's It's cool that it keeps track of that. And it's, you know, often illustrative. So I don't know. There's a lot, I still prefer face-to-face, I got to say. Yes. Also lets me play against players that I normally, you know, wouldn't get to play against because they live too far away. And maybe I see them in a tournament once in a blue moon. But I played a game, for example, um, you know, with Dennis Donovan in California. He's one of your big fans, as of course you know. And he's a friend of mine, too. But we only got to play like once or maybe twice a year at most. And now we can, you know, get together on Vassal. Yeah. So that's cool. So there are a lot of nice things about it that, you know, and you guys have said nice things about it, too. And it is, you know, you know, it is useful. Yep, indeed. Jeff, what have you been up to? Any gaming? I know you've been working extra hard. Yeah, I've actually been. I haven't had any gaming other than what you and I played. We played the we did play the last turn of that. Yeah, that last scenario with the landing craft. Yeah, but we did have to cancel a lot, too. Yeah. Yeah, I've had a lot of stuff going on, end-of-the-year things for work, and so I uh, really haven't played anything. I, I haven't even played Sword of Rome, which I'm playing with uh, three other guys. We're on the last turn of that as well, and I've had to postpone that a couple of weeks. So, And then, of course, last week with Christmas, and then this week with New Year's. Probably not going to pick it up again till January, but I'm looking forward to resuming as uh, soon as possible. Indeed. I've been doing a variety of things. One, Frostgrave, no. finally started a game, Miniatures, 
kind of like D&D, you're a wizard and you have an apprentice and then you hire some henchmen to come along like barbarian or ranger or thieves or rogues or thugs. And they help you to go onto this game board, which I don't have the picture of it. It's up on Twitter. It's a lane over there. But I made Laura play it with me and Aaron, my COVID buddies. And, yeah, it was a stretch for Laura to play. But I can imagine, yeah. Because were you just holding up the rule book? Yeah, yeah. But it's not yeah. it's not hard. I mean, this is half scenarios, okay. a, a lot of spells. So you, But you only have to read the spells you're going to use, Yeah. which start off with just a few. And you're just one type of magician. And so, you know. Um, but this book is just gorgeously illustrated. Um, and I got saw this in the Twitter feed. Someone they showed all their miniatures. I'm like, hey, what are you playing there? You know? Oh yeah, Frostgrave. Check it out, Dave. So that's kind of cool. We never even finished the game yet, but I got all the terrain. I got all the miniatures. I just have to walk to the shelf and grab a wizard figure and an apprentice, and you know, a fighter or two to go with them, and a couple of rogues to go with them, and. There's your team. And then you just come on the board, get this treasure, and get off. And then scenarios have different things. Monsters appear. I have all the monsters ready to go. So it made sense to try it. And then it's a game I can play instead of DMing, right? Yes. Even if I know the scenario, it doesn't matter. Because right. you got to come on with your team, fight the other teams, get this treasure, and get off. And you play against the game, right? You're not playing against... No, you are against the others. Oh, you are? Okay. Yeah. Now, I'll bet you can do a cooperative version of that, which would be interesting to see. In fact, now that you say that, I'd like to see that. Yeah. Uh, maybe just up the monsters level and have both teams cooperating to try and get this job done. It's kind of like Desperado. You've played the, sure. the Western yeah. miniature game. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, in a way, yeah. Just line of sight and all that. And um, and then I'm starting up a new campaign tonight for D&D. I rolled up oh. my Wood Elf. Monk for tonight. Jeremy's taking over the DMing of Vince's group at 6.30, so we've got to hurry up, guys. And then, what people want to know, ASL, Twilight, uh, Terror? Terror, Twilight. Terror at Twilight. Valor of the Guards. There's a series of these little little games you can play in the little red square, right? So even if you like big games, of course, there's, there's Rich Knows. There's tons to do with big, giant games. But there's a ton of these little scenarios. So in this one, I blew by Dave Timonen's. I'm on a com- my new computer, right, so I can't screen share the game yet. I haven't got it all set up. But the Germans are defending in a line across, and the Russians are trying to blast through and escape. They have these AT guns, these German Pack 30, 37Ls. They have the heat, so you got to read your notes, right? And that heat changes the game. So if you can roll six or less or something, eight or less, you can take out these Russian tanks, which would make a big difference. So tight little game. And I, I blew through Dave's defenses. I just slammed all onto one side. His advice I gave him was, as Rich knows, right, leave a couple of squads or three with a leader in the middle, <laughs> back a bit if the guy's trying to get off the board. Because, right, you're going to have to shift. If you set up all on a line, you're just going to get that hole punched through. And then we're playing this Voentorg. Are you guys familiar with that building? It's like the officer's quarters in Stalingrad. I'm not. No. I'm not remembering it. Yeah. Oh, Pavlov's house is right up two buildings up from it. Okay. So there's Pavlov's house and then this other house. 
and then this that open square, that giant open square, 9th of January square or something like that. Um, so I'm trying to defend. Well, no, I'm attacking. And this one's neat. You get three turns and then you do a mini refit phase and you reset. Mm. And then you play three turns again. Mini refit reset. And on turn one, you just have to take one ground level hex of this captain's quarters or officer's head, you know, hangout room building. Uh, turn two, if you got to go to that, you got to get two. And then turn three, you got to get three. And so these Stugs come on with riders and they have to because that's historically what the Germans did. They try to speed across that open square and ATRs are sitting there. And it's got the got to figure out your deliberate immobilization. And if you get one, they have a special rule that can turn that into a recall. And if the tanks are recalled instead of immobilized with the deliberate immobilization, um, they don't come on for the part two and part three. So anyway, we played part one. And I am good at updating the Twitter feed now that I am not working so much. So you guys can check it out there. I found, uh, Dave, I've not played that scenario, but I like the way you describe the victory conditions, that they get harder the longer it goes, it sounded like you were describing. And, and that's cool. I think scenarios that have those victory conditions that change and become more difficult the longer you go, that's interesting. Yeah, it was, it was um, yeah, so I feel like I blew it by not being aggressive enough on that first three turns to try and win it in the first first uh, game there but and then of course our sponsor is objective schmidt yeah i've been playing playing a lot bounding fire productions making of the greatest games in the world rich you're a fan of theirs aren't you i am i uh i'm reading the uh guns at last light uh book that you guys might have heard of it's the last in the trilogy that we uh have spoke about once before by rick atkinson and yeah. so the, the battles that Operation Schmidt portrays that BFP makes, I, you know, a lot of those are described in the Rick Atkinson Guns at Last Light, you know, volume, because obviously that's towards the end of the end of the war, and that's what that book's about. So I am actually reading just just the other night. I remember looking at the map and seeing the towns that Ob- Objective Schmidt, you know, describes. Cool. And uh, anyway, so yeah, that's kind of fresh in my mind, at least from the book point of view, it is. And so, uh, and I also want to go back on that first scenario you described, Dave, with the uh, VOTG. I'm not a VOTG expert. I have VOTG, and I think it's cool, but I haven't played much of it. But what I do want to recommend is, you know, you do. it is good to play those small scenarios like you were saying, because oftentimes if you play one or two or three of the small ones and you learn the terrain and you learn the tactics and you learn the units, oftentimes you'll then get interested in playing the big big grand scenario or the big grand campaign game you know pertaining to that that theme or that that theater but and that's a good way to get into it instead of starting off with something that big it's better to start with the smaller scenarios and get a taste of it and get an appreciation for it yeah that's that's good advice right and we are planning to hopefully play one of the bigger scenarios uh, again in both the Valor of the Guards and in the Objective Schmidt, because there's some big, big ones that we're going to wait for a four-player non-COVID situation, indeed. So, Well, invite me over to be one of your four, Dave. Yeah, we could do that. That would be great. We have to take your temperature before you get started, uh, before you get yeah. in the house. And Hopefully and- by then we'll be done and we'll all be free again totally, yeah. so... 
And then, Jeff, uh, did you get any special what's in the box? Kind of, oh, you mean from an, what's in the box? Yes, from one of our other sponsors, Broken Ground Design. I actually haven't looked at this yet. All right, because, opening it live. You, you delivered it, so it had to spend several days in quarantine. Yeah, it did, <laughs> even though I'm your safest friend, probably. Uh, so here it is, came in this gorgeous envelope, very festive, and look at that. It's one of these nice uh, mouse pad type games, so the map is mouse pad size. Yeah, have you seen those, Rich, the mouse pad? Well, I have on your show, uh, oh. yeah, and you've described them in the past, and I think it's cool. I mean, you actually play on the mouse pad, right? That's right. And so uh, there's a little map with uh, some stone buildings and wooden buildings and woods and stuff like that. And then looks like four little scenarios. Pad one, pad two, pad three, and pad four. Those are cleverly named. And these are these scenarios are actually uh, designed by some well-known people. A couple here from uh, Pete Schelling. Here's one from Brian Martusis. Uh, two by Brian Martusis. So uh, very nice, just little fun scenarios, Germans against uh, Americans. Here's one with uh, uh, the Chinese against the Japanese. Oh, interesting. And here's the Greeks versus the Italians. I haven't don't see these that often. Iron coffins. Oh, yes. So and then very you get, nice. And then very you nice play the scenarios, stuff. then you get the mouse pad. That's right. Hey, speaking of mouse pads, allow me to show this one on uh, on the show. Yes. Uh, Scott, you guys know I'm a big Winston Churchill fan. In fact, you guys bought me that nice life-size cardboard Winston Churchill <laughs> yeah. cardboard cutout, which I still have <laughs> after all these years that you bought for my birthday about five years ago. But my son got me a gift the other day knowing that I'm a Winston Churchill fan, and it has an ASL theme to it and i want to show it on the screen here i don't know if i've ever showed this before it's pretty cool can you read that up uh, higher 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 oh, oh there we it's go it's not enough that we do our best sometimes we have to roll low <laughs> yes the, the actual quote is uh it is not enough that we do our best sometimes we have to do what is required <laughs> and my, my son had a change to, you know, sometimes you just got to roll low. And I think that's great because he combined my love of Churchill and my love of ASL all into one little, little uh, cool mouse pad there. And, uh, and that's true in squad leader, right? No matter how hard you try, no matter how hard you study the rules, no matter how well thought out your tactics and strategy are, you know, you just sometimes got to roll low. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Break. Yep. Yeah. And Jeff, did you also get the, um, Mouse? Yes, and so does this come with? Now, is this no extra charge? Is so this I, the mouse tank that that just this, no? This is this a, is a mouse tank, also from Broken Ground. So I assume it just, it goes with this the mouse pad and the scenarios. Mm -hmm. It's a very nice little mouse for computer use. And there's a German tank that was called a mouse, an M A U S giant mega thing. There was only like. They never got out yet and out of production. I wonder if this is that tank. 
I don't recognize the overhead depiction. I haven't built a model of that tank, so I'm not sure. But anyway, that would be clever. So, yeah, yeah we both have these, Jeff, so I know you're going to want to keep yours and play your scenarios. But I had this set of scenarios from a while back when it first came out. So the one I have will be going up as a prize in the future. Hey, did did either of you guys get any toys for Christmas? As usual, Who's the only person that gets toys in my house, Jeff? Usually Dave. Did you get some toys? I did. I got. My children have been giving me cornfields for, this is going to be worth it here, um, many, many, many years. I asked for these miniature toy train HO scale. I know i got to make this quick because um, cornfields every year, and so yep. I get a couple, and I guess it's been a long time because... I now have wanted to build a cornfield for miniature gaming, D&D, and, and World War II and everything. Civil War. Civil War. you got to have one. I now have a bag of a dozen of these things. Wow. Look at this. And then I was looking at this. You are a corn king. I was looking at this corrugated cardboard I have, and I spray painted it brown. And I've been using that forever for plowed fields, right? ASL and miniature or whatever. Uh corrugated board spray paint brown looks great but i'm thinking i gotta up this i gotta get some kind of texture on this so i gotta get the earth from the train store and get it on there but when i glue it on it just breaks off how am i gonna do this i forgot that a company makes real secure already done exactly what i'm talking about and my son aaron gave them to me for christmas two big sheets of plowed fields so i can keep one as plowed fields and now I got this nightmare of a job of attaching all these corn stalks to this cornfield. But you know thing. me, right, Jeff? I'm going to yes. get it done. Yes. And I got a, a set of skirmish World War II war game rules. I forget what they're called, but I also saw them on the Twitter feed. And some guy said, yeah, this is better than that old set you're you're using. And so I'm my wife got me that. Nice. No, no ASL, though, because I get you know, all, all I need of my own. Yeah. Well, when you do get ASL products, Dave, what's one of the primary places you get it from? Well, I prefer to get them from one of our sponsors, Ritter Creek. Oh, Ritter Creek. Ritter yeah. Creek. Yeah, what's you can't the- always depend on Santa for getting you exactly the right stuff from exactly the right place. So what I do is I give Santa a break. I say, just skip the ASL stuff, Santa. I got you covered. I'm going to Ritter Creek. He's happy. I'm happy. Everybody's happy. And free shipping inside the continental United States of America, assuming somebody doesn't secede. <laughs> right. Well, yeah, that could be challenging. Yeah. I mean, if Texas breaks off to, a, to create its own country, I don't know how we'd handle that shipping. But Yeah, and then we'd have to get our passports to go down to the Texas Open or whatever. Right, Rich? You've been there. I have. Well, Texas used to be its own country for a short time there. Yeah, yeah. Mexico and the U.S. And Dave is a history teacher. Of course, you know this. Yeah. Was that the Bear Flag Republic? No, that was California. Also was its own for very brief. And then, yeah, the Lone, what was it? The Lone Star Republic? I don't remember. I just know that it happened. I don't know. that I I do know that when they did first join the United States, this was all during the the pre-Civil War years, you know. Right. And And I do recall from my history reading that, you know, this is when the big uh, slave state versus free state controversies were always a big deal as new states were being added to the union one by one. There was always a big fight of whether they should 
be free or slave because that could tilt the balance of power in the in the Congress and so on. Yeah. And so there was a there was at one point you could look this up. I've seen it myself where they were going to, you know, Texas is huge and we all know how, you know, it's one of the biggest states, I guess, other than Alaska geographically, that they were going to break Texas into four states. And of course, at that time, though, they would have been four slave states and that would have tilted the balance of power, at least in the Senate, I guess, to, uh, you know, more slave states, I guess. And so that was not approved or not, not, not favored by the free states. Anyway, but the names of those four states were selected, and they're completely weird names that you'd have never thought of being associated with Texas. <laughs> and so you can look this up somewhere. I, I saw it myself, the names of these four states that never came to be. But anyway, that's a little bit of history that I know. I know you know more than me, Dave, but that's... Uh, yeah, well, um, yeah. So now it's time, though, to get into the real meat of the show. Rich, you bringing us what kind of OBA, kind of nice follow-up to our naval OBA, but we also have to finish that, Jeff, on the next show. Yes. Never did, but I'm going to get my beanie on for this one. Oh, yeah, good idea. Rich is going to walk us through a wonderful analysis. Well, if I had a beanie, I'd wear it. I understand you have one waiting for me, Jeff, next time we're able to uh, get together. Yes. But, uh, you know, I guess you guys teased me about the Beanie Baby perspective or the Beanie Baby, the Beanie Hat perspective. But, um, you know, getting into your little corn maze stuff, Dave, you know, one, that's one just, might argue. Yeah, that's that just that's, nerdy. That, 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 well, that's, but see, that's not intelligent. So that's the difference. Yours is smart. Mine is like dumb things. <laughs> or that book you were talking about earlier, that book about the the magicians and the whatevers. I, I, I grave. Yeah, I don't understand that whatsoever. So <laughs> I'm sorry, oh, that's yeah. not, not in my thing. But anyway, yeah, so I have written a very long, comprehensive article on OBA, and it's on the statistics of OBA, which I'll talk about here in a minute. And I submitted it to MMP for potential inclusion in the ASL uh, journal, the next one that comes out. And uh, I corresponded back and forth with Perry a few times and with others. Anyway, my understanding is, I, I can't speak for MMP, but my understanding from my correspondence with Perry is that they have indeed improved, approved the article for publication, and it will be part of the next ASL journal. And I don't know when the next ASL journal is coming out, though. And Jeff, do, do you remember, have you looked recently to see when the last journal came out? Well, I, I looked. I'm not sure that that's the correct date. It might just be the web page date, but it, on their website, it shows January of 2017, which it just can't be that long. It could. It's been a while. But. Yeah, I know it's been a while, but. But, but that's anyway, journal, it's journal 12. Easily. That's yeah. journal 12, right? Yeah. And so, you know, whether it's been January of 17 or more recent than that, it's still been at least a couple, three years, I think. So I don't know when Journal 13 is coming out. I don't know. I don't have any insight into that. But I do know that I received, you know, email correspondence assuring me that the article that I wrote will be included. So I thought I'd give a, folks a taste of what that article is about and perhaps drum up with some interest in it. If it does come out, you know, they can read it if they're interested. And a little bit of background of, you know, how I wrote it, people that helped me write it. And it's, I think it's interesting. It shed a lot of light on things for me. So I'll start with saying, you know, 
we've all had that situation where, you know, OBA is part of the scenario, you know, set up, you have it, or your phone has it, not even in battle. And, you know, there's the draw piles, black and red cards, or black and red chits, as the case may be. And, you know, sometimes you smoke, sometimes you don't. But anyway, you're always wondering whether you have it or whether your opponent has it. You know, about how many modules do you think they'll be able to hit you with? Like, how many of these things do you got to endure? Or how many can you expect to receive yourself? You know, there's also the question that I often ask myself, which is, well, you know, can I at least count on getting at least one or two of these things? And what are the odds that I'm going to get at least, you know, one or two? Uh, when you play um, campaign games, you know, oftentimes you have the ability to spend extra points to buy like pre-registered fire and pre-registered fire gives you that extra. Oops, you lost Dave. <laughs> I'm okay. Sorry. I'm okay. What happened, Dave? Sorry. What Trying happened? To close the door. Was that was, uh, in the background we, hardly, we hardly noticed a thing there, Dave. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> I can't stop laughing though. So anyway, is it worth spending the extra points to get that extra black card, to get that extra potential fire mission, maybe? Uh, anyway, so there's all these questions that we all have faced at one time or another in, in playing ASL concerning OBA. And so I thought I'd put some numbers to it. And so a, cu a couple names I want to mention. First of all, there was an article written. So there's this footnote number one that looks really small here on the screen. But there's an article written by Robert Mitro that some of the old-time ASLers like me might remember. It's in the mid-80s. I don't know the exact year because it was in the general, volume 24, number two. Yeah. So I, don't, I don't know what year that came out, so I just generically said the mid-80s because I'm not sure. That was early. Back in the day. And I got a little link to it here in the article that you can look at it yourself. And he wrote about a four-page article that has all kinds of charts and tables. And I got to give him, first of all, hats off to Robert Petro for the article he wrote. I mean, now having written my own article now, you know, 30-some years later, with the modern computer technology that we have today that he didn't have access to. I'll go back to the pictures. So, you know, he didn't have Excel, and he didn't have the expensive or fancy software to do statistical calculations that we had access to today. And he, uh, and if you read his article, the way he did it was, I'll call it brute force. He wrote a computer program to roll dice and see if he got radio contact, and draw a black card or not, try again and try again and try again, thousands and thousands and thousands of times. And then he counted or he had the computer count, you know, how many outcomes resulted in favorable outcomes and how many outcomes didn't. And through pure, I'll call that brute force, he, you know, I, I can't even imagine writing a program to do something that sophisticated for this purpose. And, and it, as hard as the work was that I did or that I also had help with, which I'll mention, it was nowhere near as hard as what he had. To do. But I will also say that all the results that I came up with in the article that I wrote, in the areas where we overlapped, because our articles were a little bit different, they had a little bit different focus, but they did have some overlap. But in the areas where we overlapped, I will say that we matched up exactly. We matched up right on the dot. So I felt good that anything I say in my article does not contradict 
anything that he says in his article. They do match, you know, in the areas that they do overlap. So I'll say that. So another name I want to mention is Chris Edwards, who's an ASL player, and he's also a professor of statistics statistics at University of Wisconsin Oshkosh, and he's uh, footnoted and credited in the paper itself. And obviously, his knowledge of statistics is you know second to none. I know Excel pretty good, and I know math pretty good, and statistics to a certain degree, but some of the calculations are quite remarkable, and I really had to rely on Chris Edwards significantly to help me with some of the really more complex math. And so you'll see some of the results of that here in a minute. I show you. How did you get Chris involved in the project? Did you contact him and tell him you were going to work on this thing and just yeah, know that's it? a good question. So it was it was back in the day that you'll remember, Jeff, when we could actually get together in person. Do you remember those days? Yeah, vaguely. Yeah, we had to wear pants and everything. <laughs> yes, yes, that was one of the one of the things we had to do. So it was I don't know how many years ago it was. I'll say four years ago or so. And we were at an ASL Open tournament here in yeah, Chicago. Yeah. Yep. And Chris often comes to that because, you know, he lives in Wisconsin, which isn't that far away. Yeah, we and interviewed him. It might have been that weekend. <coughs> Excuse yeah. me. Yeah, 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 you interviewed Chris. And he's, uh, and he's also, you know, uh, acquaintance, a friend of mine that I've known, you know, through the years. And uh, so, yeah, I just basically said, well, hey, you know, I'm going to write this article or I'm thinking about it. And I could use your help. And I think we kind of came to this agreement that actually worked out pretty well, but he didn't want to write anything. He didn't want to make it look pretty. He didn't want to, you know, do any of that. <laughs> I'll call that the fluffy work, but he would do the number crunching for me, which is what I needed. Cause again, I knew how to do some number crunching, but he, you know, knows a lot more about the actual statistical calculations than me. So it was actually a pretty good partnership. He did a lot of the Excel spreadsheets for me. I could ask him questions and you know, it turned out pretty good, you know, from that partnership. So that's how it started. So that's, so with the perspective of the Robert Medro article from the 80s, with the help of Chris Edwards, we took a look at, you know, basically a very, when you think about it, it's a pretty narrow scope. We looked at the draw piles, so many black cards and so many red cards. And, you know, we all know that, you know, the German standard draw pile is eight black and three red. The Russian standard draw pile is five black and two red. And then there's you know everything in between where you can have extra black cards for scarce ammo and extra, or pardon me, extra red. Yeah, did I say red cards for scarce? Did I say that right? Mm-hmm. And extra black cards for uh, plentiful ammo and the different nationality, you know, changes and modifications. So there's a whole spectrum of black and red card combinations. And there's also the very important squad leader rule or ASL rule in chapter C that says after you've drawn the second red card, the module is over. Yeah. yeah. Unless you draw that red card on one of those extra, I'll, I'll use the word extra in quotation marks, uh, you know, reasons, then, then, then the module is not over in those cases. So anyway, so knowing that, Knowing the standard ASL rules of the two red card draw issue of when you lose your module, oftentimes, you know, you would ask yourself, well, you know, what are the odds of me getting no modules at all? What are the odds of me getting two red cards right off the bat? You always hear nightmare stories about that happening to certain players sometimes. And, you know, that's obviously, yeah, that obviously <laughs> changes the whole thing. You, if you don't get any OBA at all and you're supposed to get at least a little bit, you know, that obviously is going to change the balance a lot. 
So I wanted to do some math. I wanted to do like, what are the odds of really getting none? Or what are, you know, on the other extreme, you got the eight black, three red German deck or German draw pile standard. What are the odds of getting all eight blacks before you get the two reds? You know, that's possible too. That would be an extreme outcome, but it's possible theoretically. But what are the odds? So with that, we went to town and we went and we did a lot of math. A lot of number crunching. And again, I give Chris Edwards all the credit in the world for the work that he did. So I'll yeah. just show you just a taste. I don't want to go through all the charts. There's a whole bunch of charts. There's 10 pages of written material. Uh, it's very, you know, comprehensive in my opinion. But I'll, I'll give the viewers and the listeners a, a taste. And this is where, again, watching is probably better than listening when we move into this next part. All right. So this is. I call it figure one here, as you can see. This is looking at all the different draw piles that I think are possible. So if you look at the bottom of the chart, you'll see, you know, six black, four red on the left, all the way to 10 black, two red on the right. And then the number of, or the expected number of fire missions is on the vertical axis. So what this is saying is if you allow up to 12 draws, which is a lot of draws, but if you basically exhaust the deck, and you just keep on drawing until you get red card, until you get two red cards. Then this is telling you the expected, on average, you can expect this many positive black fire missions based on the draw pile. So the richer and black cards it gets as you go to the right, the higher the expected number of black cards you would expect. So this is just more of a theoretical chart. And again, it's up to 12 draws, which is you know very much on the high side. You're probably yeah. not going to get involved draws in most scenarios. Yeah, that's yeah. true. So this is just an example, but it, it gets better. So let me go to this next chart. So now this next chart, again, using the German normal, as I call it, standard draw pile of eight black and three red. Now, this is interesting. So the expected number, as shown in the box, is, is four fire missions for this draw pile. It's four. But if you look at the odds of getting exactly none, you know, you can see it's about five and a half percent, which is equivalent to the odds of getting exactly eight, which is also five and a half percent. So when you have one of here, so here's one of the things I want to point out that I learned. When you have three red cards, like you do with the German draw pile, you end up with this. Uh, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? The shape of the of the curve here. It's a. Uh, uh, is that called the normal curve or the, I think it's Bell called the normal curve? Normal curve? Yeah, I, I forget. And, and it's it's like, it's parallel. So you can see that the odds of getting zero and eight are the same. The odds of getting one, exactly one black card, or the odds of getting exactly seven cards is also the same. You see that, how it, they yeah. correspond to each other? And then the odds of getting exactly four is the highest probability. The yeah. highest probability is to get exactly four black cards. That That's the mo mo most likely outcome, even though it's only a 15% chance of getting that. That's higher than any of the others. Now, if you contrast that with the next chart, the next chart is the Russian draw pile. So the Russian draw pile is two red cards and five black. Mm -hmm. so, so not only is the expected number of fire missions lower, 3.33 in the box, but the, the odds of getting five, all of them, are actually higher 
than the odds of getting any other outcome, which is kind of interesting. So when you have two red cards, so here's the rule of thumb that I discovered. When you have two red cards in the deck, no matter how many black, you, black cards you have, the odds of getting the highest number of black cards are higher than any other combination when you have only two reds in the deck, just like in the Russian draw pile that you have here. When you go back to the other slide that we showed you a minute ago, the, the German one, when you have three red cards, the odds of getting the uh, expected number of fire missions, which in this case is four, is, is the highest. So that's sort of a pattern that emerges when you have three red versus when you have two red, which is kind of crazy, but I guess it makes sense when you think about it. So anyway, I'm probably overwhelming people right off the bat <laughs> with even no, this. No, that's that's real straight up. Yeah. So again, there's tons of other charts with every kind of combination and permutation. I do want to show one or two more. So let's show this one. So again, this is back to the German draw pile and, and uh, the eight black, three red. So this is asking a different question and answering a different question. This is saying, hey, what are my odds of getting at least so many fire missions? Like I really, if I got the German you know, radio and I got eight black and three red, you know, what are the odds of me getting at least one fire mission? Well, the odds are 94.5% that you'll get at least one black card before you draw two red. So the odds are really high. And obviously, as you go on and on, the more you demand of the draw pile, the more black cards, the odds go down for you. So the odds of getting at least three are 72%. Anyway, you can see the math yourself. I don't need to read every number. But this is what the German draw pile, you know, looks like from a, you know, how many can I expect? What are the percentages, you know, that I'll get at least this many black cards before I draw two reds? And then using the Russian draw pile on this next chart, same thing. What are the odds that I'll get at least, you know, say three black cards before I draw the two red ones that are in this deck? And the answer is 71% approximately. So this answers those kinds of questions. And so then I compare and contrast all the different probabilities. I'm not going to cover this. There's a lot of numbers there. Uh, now this chart then, this is important. So then I flip gears in the article and I talk about, well, you know, you're really not going to have 12 draws, you know, not too often. That's a very rare, big, long scenario that's going to give you, you know, 12 opportunities to pull out of the draw pile. More realistic, we felt, is six draws. And even that, you could say, is on the high side. So we redid everything from a six draw perspective. And thinking that that was a little bit more of a typical outcome than 12, for sure. And so sure enough, if you look at this chart, it's just comparing the expected number of fire missions. And sure enough, the gray, the gray bars are, you know, almost always less than the red bars, you know, from the previous with 12 draws. Yeah. Which is what you'd expect because you're drawing fewer cards. So you'd expect a, a lower outcome. And then we show, you know, a comparison of all the different possibilities and different combinations, which I'm not going to cover now. And then I guess I'm, I'm going to stop right there before I go to this chart. So anyway, there's a lot of discussion of all this and different uh, patterns that emerge. Let me go back to that screen share. You know, why don't I just pause right there and see if you guys have any feedback or thoughts or questions? No, I think it's really straightforward analysis. It definitely helps you, like I mentioned earlier, like let's say you're deciding in some campaign game and red barricades or whatever, should I spend those ex that extra point of campaign purchasing points that you often are allocated 
to get a extra black card and the draw pile and the pre-registered hex and you know, all the things that are afforded, uh, you know, that, you know, per the ASL rules of, you know, getting that, is it worth the extra point? Well, from a statistical point of view, you could compare adding another black card into your draw pile, look at this chart and see like, you know, does that really get you a decent percentage chance of increasing that extra black card draw or not? It's, it's just one data yeah. point that you can and, use to make yeah. your decision. And based too on the length too, because like as we we're talking about the bounding fire stuff from Schmidt, that with those black card uh, the Germans they don't take out the card they just get all the black cards. It can also really tell you you're going to get to draw a lot and it what that you know. But buying it, it'd be interesting to know too. Is there analysis around about like what I would get if I took the neg one leader? Or I guess it's hard to analyze that compared to the card draw. Well, I'll say again, pointing back to uh, Mr. Medro's article from the mid 80s, his article, like I mentioned verbally a minute ago, was even more comprehensive than mine. Mine only looks at the, the black and the red cards. That's it. Yeah. He looked at the black and the red cards for sure. Uh, but he also looked at, you know, rolling radio contact when your radio contact number is a six or a seven or an eight. He looked at the maintenance die roll. It could be a minus one or a minus two based on if it's battalion mortar or not. He looked at, he even had a uh, an algorithm in there to measure the probability of, you know, how you got to draw an extra black card. Yeah, if right. It if lands on the line of sight or yeah. whatever. I can't remember exactly what he did. He, right. he talks. So he had like two or three things going on in his article that my analysis didn't even try to do. You know, because I would have just made the math that much oh, more yeah, crazy, you know, huge. So the other thing I want to tap on and then we can we can wrap it up is a lot of people are familiar with the Pleva rule. So, yeah, I'm a fan. Yes. And I'm, I'm a fan, too. And so I want to talk about the Pleva rule. And I did correspond with Steve Pleva, you know, the author and, and uh, person who put forward this rule that bears his name. And, and in my correspondence with Steve, and I put this in the article, he had two purposes in putting forward his Pleva rule to make an improvement to the existing rule. So we talked about if you draw two red cards under the standard rule, that that, you know, ends your, your fire mission for that, you know, for that uh, module that ends your, you're not allowed to draw anymore after that. Well, Steve wanted to, you know, do two things with his rule. Uh, and I got this in the article. The first thing he wanted to do was he wanted to decrease the chance that the OBA player got no fire missions at all. You know, that 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 worst case scenario where you just happen to draw two reds and it's over. At the same time, he didn't want to change the, you know, the balance of the scenarios that had radios and OBA in them because he didn't want the expected number of fire missions for the people that have the radio to go up, you know. In other words, you could stop the number of reds by just taking reds out of the deck or adding lots of black cards into the deck, but that would help the OBA player, you know, get too many fire missions, and that would change the balance the other way. So he didn't want to do that. So he wanted to balance those two things against each other. With that, he came up with the rule that says when you draw a red card, doesn't matter if it's the first one or the second one or the, you know, umpteenth one. You put the red card back in the deck and you put an extra red card back into the deck. So you end up with a richer red card percentage at the end of it, but you never stop drawing either. You don't stop after if you draw two reds, you just keep on going and 
keep adding those red cards back in the deck. So you still have the possibility to draw a black card sooner or later. And so that is, in a nutshell, what the Pleva rule is. So I don't want to ruin the suspense, and I don't want to show any charts that we made on that. They will be in the article. But I measured the Pleva rule using 12 draws and using six draws, just like I showed you previously with the standard rules. And we compared and we contrasted the outcomes. And then at the end, we do make an analysis. And we show, did Steve's rule meet that objective? Did it minimize the number of reds? Or pardon me, did it minimize the chance of getting zero uh, you know, black draws, period, compared to the standard rules? But at the same time, did it keep the expected number of black draws about the same as in the standard rules? Mm -hmm. So we measure those two criteria statistically. And I'm telling you, I got to take hats off to Chris Edwards for the math involved to do that was off the charts. If you see the Excel spreadsheets he made to measure this and to do this, <laughs> I'm telling you, I mean, think about it. Like with the regular rules, I don't want to say it's not that hard because that would be uh, minimizing what he did. But with the regular rules, I'll call it straightforward because, you know, when you take a card out, you take a card out. You have one less card. And then you go from there. But with the Pleva rules, if you draw a black card, the black card is gone, and now the deck is one card smaller. But when you draw a red card, you put the red card back, and you add another red card in. So now the, the deck is one card larger than it was when you started. Right. And then you do that step by step by step by step, draw after draw after draw, and you can see the permutations and combinations branching out yeah, into, yeah. into an un, you know, unbelievable number of combinations. It's crazy. It's absolutely off the charts. And, and Chris was able to handle it. He figured it out, and I was amazed. You know, we had to go back and forth a lot so that I would figure and understand what he was, you know, talking about. And his spreadsheets were, you know, I had to, you know, figure out how to make nice-looking charts to come out of it and ways to communicate the outcomes, you know, in a way that made sense to people. But I got to take my hats off to Steve Pleva for coming up with that idea. Hats off to Chris for finding a way to measure it statistically. So this was a pretty heavy exercise. So if you're really not interested in stats or math and, and, and you, or you don't like OBA or whatever, I guess that article won't be for you. But I, again, I, like, like everything I try to do with my rules, charts, and tables, I tried to make the charts useful, meaningful, helpful, you know, guide, got, you know, provide some guidance, decision-making guidance. And I look forward to the article hopefully coming out, you know, whenever the next journal is able to make its way out. Uh, did uh, did Chris say that this stuff was difficult for him to do, or did he give any indication that it was challenging? Or That's a great a question. I think he thought I was a pain in the neck. I'm sure of that. <laughs> yeah, working, <laughs> working with me was probably difficult for him because I, you know, had so many questions, and maybe I didn't like the way he did it, and I wanted him to do that, and I wanted him to do this. So maybe I was more of a thorn in his side, but I don't think the math was that hard for him, frankly. Yeah. For him, it was like just a day, just another day at the office. But it really is remarkable when you see what he did. And he used formulas in Excel that I never even know were there. He used some really funky stuff that you know he was aware of that I didn't even know existed. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, and I'm I'm really doing it a disservice because he has names. You know, just like any profession, they have names for this phenomenon. Like I described that phenomenon mm -hmm. earlier. When you have an odd number of red cards or an even number of red cards and the patterns that emerge, 
Yeah. Well, I did that in my own little layman's way. You know, they, the statisticians have names for that stuff. You know, they call it a, a you know, a binomial, whatever. You know, I, I don't know what it's called, <laughs> but, but you know, they have names for these phenomenon that emerge with you know patterns like that and statistics that I'm not doing it justice in my layman's you know explanation. Well, it's quite uh, yeah. very fascinating, and it's great that you're there to carry on that tradition. Well, again, I, I hats off to Robert Nidro. I hope that he's still alive and can hear this. I really do hope that. Yeah. I'm not sure. You check in. You should check in with us, and we'll try to get, get him interviewed. A lot of those guys yeah. we still have not Nixon and all those guys, but. But it really makes me appreciate what he did back in the 80s. My goodness, the number crunching that he must have done with the technology at his disposal back in that time was, I don't. I think he was totally, I'll admit it, I, I underappreciated what he did at the time. I did not appreciate how, until I tried to write this article myself today, <laughs> I did not appreciate how hard he must have had to work to do what he did. Back then, yeah. yeah. Well, hopefully All right, well, thanks for sharing, Rich. can tell us. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's my pleasure, Dave. Thank you. We'll call it a show, and we'll have you back some other time soon. Very good. Thanks. Thanks for listening, I, everybody. Oh, sorry, Jeff? You. Yes, I was just going to say thanks, everybody, for being here. And uh, we'll see you next time on the two half squads. Remember to roll low. And rally well. But, but not, not when you're playing us. us. All right. Bye-bye, everybody. Happy New Year. And if you do roll low, Rich has got the statistics for <laughs> <laughs> the likelihood of you rolling low twice in the same century. All right. Take care, guys. Bye-bye. Happy New Year. Thanks, Rich. Bye-bye.